0: Ba do ba doo 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 wee Ba ba doo
1: We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on this Remembrance Day 2019. And of course we have uh, all kinds of uh, wonderful music to play for you for the next three hours plus on CITR FM 101.9 or of course on the Web, C-I-T-R dot We have music by all kinds of people this evening, but of course, uh, the one important part of the show is what we do right at the beginning. First of all, my name's Gavin Walker, and I'm your host, as I am every week, and very happy to be here and share some of this great music by these great artists with you, and I would like to uh, present the jazz feature. This is our second jazz feature of albums that were originally, when they were first reviewed in the jazz publications, like Downbeat and so on and so forth. This particular album that we're going to hear this evening, we're doing a month of the this kind of thing. I like to do this every once in a while. Um, and present... Um, albums that were originally very, very low rated. You know, out of five stars, they would get maybe one star, one and a half stars, maybe two stars. Um, One star, of course, would be poor and two stars would be fair. Not very good ratings. And of course, uh, subject to, I guess, the opinions of uh, some of the jazz critics. I'm not talking about the great jazz critics, people like Ira Gitler, Nat Hentoff, Leonard Feather, uh, Dan Morgenstern. They were um, very um, good, um, and actually good writers as well, and they would judge an album by uh, much higher standards. But some of these reviewers uh, were just uh, completely off the wall. Now, The four albums that we're presenting uh, this month, um, including the one that we did last week, um, the four albums, um, three of them have actually become classics. And one, um, the rating was so low that even though the producer loved the album and loved the personnel and the music on the album, the album only got one star. Uh, That's coming up uh, on another one of our shows, but it only got one star, and this poor guy never recorded again um, because of that, because people used to read these reviews, and, uh, you know, you could only budget uh, so much for, uh, for buying records because there were no CDs at that time in the early 60s. You had to buy records, and they cost money, and so you had to budget yourself to do that. And so you looked um, at these magazines, uh, these jazz magazines, for reviews or or newspapers or whatever. And you based your purchases on uh, what maybe a famous critic would say about an album. So if an artist was established, very often a low-rated album didn't... Uh, affect the artist's status in any way it was just one of those things Um, and but if somebody was just new and their debut recording got low rated that could ruin a career so these guys were in these critics were in an important position and some of them really didn't know what they were doing um, or they, they would review uh, a recording on a bad day, give it a rotten review, and, and uh, y- you know, the damage was done. Anyway, getting back to this particular recording, this is by the wonderful, virtuoso, and um, what can you say? He was, he was a prodigal uh, son. Lee Morgan, Edward Lee Morgan, born in Philadelphia in July of 1938, July 10th, as a matter of fact, 1938, and sadly died in a domestic dispute accident. He was shot by his um, estranged partner in 1972. He was only 34 years old, and we lost one of the major, and I do mean major, voices of the trumpet. Lee Morgan was, uh, as I mentioned before, a child prodigy, really, and he was playing uh, extremely well when he was 11, 12 years old and uh, scaring the daylights out of people with his ability and his uh, quickness um, at, at picking up uh, music and his development. By the time he was 18, he was recording under his own name and uh, with some of the major musicians in New York City. He was uh, picked up by none other than Dizzy Gillespie who formed uh, a big band and gave Lee um, many of his solos uh, because he thought the world of, of Lee Morgan and Lee really established himself in that band and, of course, he continued to record. Lee Morgan uh, really came to maturity on two albums. He, he, one was under his own name, and the, the other one was a very famous album by tenor saxophonist John Coltrane called Blue Train. The one under Lee's own name was called The Cooker. And that really displayed the um, maturity of Lee Morgan. His style had come together, his sound, everything. And he was just 19 years old. Um, absolutely amazing. Lee, of course, uh, when Dizzy Gillespie broke up his band, he uh, was hired by Art Blakey and his Jazz Messengers, and one of the finest editions of the Jazz Messengers began uh, with Lee Morgan playing trumpet. Lee was in that band from 1958 until 1961, and of course contributed mightily to the sound of the Jazz Messengers at the time, and continued to record under his own name. Now, Lee was treated very well by the jazz critics. Um, his uh, own recordings were given very good ratings, his sideman appearances, of course. Um, he he suffered a little bit of criticism, but most of the time it was praise and just amazement on the part of critics as to uh, his uh, individual voice of the trumpet. And of course, Lee Morgan, by the time the the 1950s closed. He was one of the major voices of the trumpet. His style came from Clifford Brown, uh, the ill-fated trumpeter who died in 1956 in a car accident, and Fats Navarro, who along with Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis was one of the pioneers of modern trumpet. So Lee took his style from Mr. Navarro and Mr. Brown and uh, formed his own style and it was outgoing, it was brash, and, uh, and yet Lee could turn around and play a soulful ballad and make you cry. Um, he really had that uh, um, kind of uh, musical maturity that he could handle sort of any kind of tune. So we get to this album, and when it came out, the reviewer gave it two stars. Now, <laughs> it's, it's hard to imagine. Um, this is a Blue Note album. The album is called Leeway, and it was recorded in April of 1960. And it features the first time on records a beautiful pairing of Lee Morgan and alto saxophone giant Jackie McLean. And they blend together so beautifully on this album. Um, and, of course, uh, down through the years, they recorded together many albums and, and did a lot more playing together. But this was the very first time on records that uh, they got together, and they were eminently suited for one another. And this recording not only contains fabulous uh, playing by Lee Morgan, but some of Jackie McLean's best playing up to, up to this date. Uh, he really sounds uh, at the top of his game on this album. And, um, uh, and of course, so does Lee. So th- the playing here is quite amazing. On piano, and not to diminish him in any way, is the great Bobby Timmons. And, of course, Bobby Timmons and Lee Morgan were part of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers at the time. And guess who the drummer is on this album? Lee decided to hire his boss. Um, to play the drums and Art Blakey, the mighty Fire Stoker, is uh, just really delivers on this session, and of course Blakey always shaded his playing somewhat if he was in a sideman role and did his best to complement um, the music that uh, uh, the band leader put down. He played quite a bit differently in his own band, of course, but here he is the ideal accompanist. And on bass, one of, one of the great bass players who came on the scene uh, in the mid-'50s and, of course, played with Miles Davis for so many years. I'm talking about Paul Chambers. So that was strength in the bass department. So we have Lee Morgan on trumpet, Jackie McLean on alto saxophone, Bobby Timmons at the piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Art Blakey on drums. Interestingly enough, this album has only four tunes, um, and this was rather unusual for Blue Note records. They always like to put more, um, more tunes—maybe five or six, maybe one long tune—and uh, however, this album has got only four long tunes, and two of the tunes are written by a gentleman who was kind of an underground figure in uh, in Philadelphia, well liked. And respected by people like John Coltrane and Benny Golson and Philly Joe Jones and all the great Philadelphia uh, musicians, his name Cal Massey, and he wrote two tunes for this date, and uh, Lee um, decided to use them, and um, kind of put Cal Massey's name out there, although uh, Cal was, as I said, a a rather underground figure. So. And, of course, um, Lee wrote one great tune for um, this album, and Jackie McLean wrote one tune, and it comprises of, as I said, four tunes. So that's it, basically, for this date. And uh, when you listen to it, you're not going to give it two stars. Um, this is a, a superb um, date. Everybody's inspired on here, and the playing is um, well worth Four and a half or five stars. It's really up there. And uh, it's a wonderful, iconic album by Lee Morgan. The four tunes we open with Cal Massey's These Are Soulful Days. Beautiful uh, melody, a great tune. Um, The second tune, tune number two, is a Lee Morgan original dedicated to the owners of Blue Note Records, Alfred Lyon and Francis Wolfe. And Lee called it The Lion and the Wolf, and it's a minor key blues. Jackie McLean writes tune number three, dedicated to New York City, and it really sounds like New York, and it's called the Midtown Blues, and it's got one of the best McLean solos on this one. The final tune is another Cal Massey composition that he actually wrote back in 1948, John Coltrane recorded this tune um, on one of his albums, and uh, it's a beautiful melodic tune called the Nacatini Suite. Uh, Coltrane, when he recorded it, it was uh, somebody changed the title and called it the Nacatini Serenade, but it's the the true title is the Nacatini Suite. The only irony on this tune is that Jackie McLean, although he plays in the section, plays the melody along with Lee Morgan, he doesn't solo on this tune. And I have a suspicion that um, maybe for the the length of the album, his solo was edited out. I don't know. But uh, it's a bit of a mystery. But his playing on the other tunes, Jackie's playing on the other tunes, is absolutely superb. Top of his game. So, that's it. This is the album. It's called Leeway, once again. The great Lee Morgan on trumpet. He was only 21 years old when he recorded this album. Jackie McLean on alto saxophone. Bobby Timmons at the piano. Paul Chambers on bass. And Art Blakey on drums. And we begin with the first tune on the album, These Are Soulful Days, by Calvin Massey. (laughs) Our jazz feature this evening, a wonderful album that originally got two out of five stars in uh, the prestigious uh, jazz magazine, Downbeat. And, of course, it's now considered a classic. Um, it's, the album was called Leeway. And, of course, uh, it's a play on words for the leader of the band, 21-year-old Lee Morgan on trumpet. And on alto saxophone, one of the great masters, one of the most unique stylists on his instrument, uh, playing with a a newfound uh, maturity on this date, which was done in April of 1960, Jackie McLean on alto saxophone. And this is... Uh, to the best of my knowledge, the first time they ever appeared on records together. And, of course, uh, down through the years, they made lots of recordings together because they were very sympatical in their sound and blend and everything else, as you could hear on this uh, marvelous recording. Bobby Timmons on piano, and of course Lee and Bobby Timmons were working with Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers at the time, one of the best editions of that band. And of course their boss was on drums, Art Blakey, of course, uh, driving the band with his um, inimitable style and of course really gauging his playing to um, the contours of the tunes and his solos, and everything else. Art Blakey is in great form on here, and of course, keeping uh, the bottom happening on everything is one of the towers of strength of the bass, Mr. Paul Chambers, Mr. P.C. And interestingly enough, as I mentioned before, this is a blue note recording, and normally on blue note recordings, they have more tunes. Uh, However, um, on this recording, there's only four Rather lengthy tunes, and they make up about the uh, the forty minutes of the album. My only regret, and I would remove half a star, is that Jackie McLean did not solo on the last tune that you heard, um, called the Nacatini Suite. And uh, I was, um, it's one of those things. Uh, it may have been edited for the length because most albums were. Uh, LP albums were around 40 minutes at the time, Um, sometimes maybe a few minutes longer, but generally around 40 minutes, and sometimes a lot shorter, too. Anyway, uh, that's my only regret, so I would have removed a star there. But two stars, the initial review? No, no, it doesn't make sense at all. It's, as they say in the movies, a puzzlement why that happened. Anyway, this is a a well-loved album by Lee Morgan and uh, one of his better outings. And, and of course, he was very consistent on on records. Uh, I don't think there's any recording where Lee Morgan does not sound less than good. And here, he was only 21 years old. Amazing. Uh, Four tunes. We began with one, uh, one of my favorite tracks on the whole album was The Opener and it was written by a fellow Philadelphian, Calvin Massey, who was kind of, as I mentioned before, an underground figure. He was a composer. um, He was a pretty good trumpet player, and he was an associate of John Coltrane's, uh, Benny Golson, and uh, many of the Philadelphia musicians. And um, his uh, Cal Massey's career didn't amount to a whole lot he only made one record in his uh, whole career, and, um, but he was well-respected. And he wrote great tunes, and uh, these are soulful days. The first tune on the album is one of them. Second tune was written by Lee Morgan and dedicated to the two owners of Blue Note Records. Well-respected gentlemen, originally from Germany. They escaped uh, the Nazi Holocaust before it, uh, yeah, all that sort of stuff came over to, um, arrived in, on a boat in New York City and started a record label called Blue Note Records. And um, the rest is history. Alfred Lyon and Francis Wolfe. And the uh, tune number two was dedicated to them, and it was called simply The Lion and the Wolf. It was a minor key blues written by Lee Morgan. Tune number three was a highlight uh, written by Jackie McLean, Very New York sound, uh, really, and it was called the Midtown Blues, and it featured one of Jackie McLean's finest recorded solos. And the final tune, as I mentioned before, was uh, written by Cal Massey, and is entitled The Nakatini Suite. And as I said, my only regret is that Jackie McLean didn't solo on that tune, mysteriously enough. So the people involved, once again, Lee Morgan leading the band on trumpet, Jackie McLean on alto saxophone, Bobby Timmons at the piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Art Blakey on drums. We heard Leeway, our jazz feature this evening. Certainly hope you enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, we'll do more of that kind of stuff. It's a great album. My name's Gavin Walker, and you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, or, of course, on uh, on the World Wide Web, as they used to call it, um, that's CITR.ca. And we shall return in a moment after uh, a few messages with some Actually, I'll tell you, we're going to play, we're going to present on the show a very, um, a gentleman by the name of Don Cherry. Yeah, for sure. I won't tell you any more until after these uh, messages.
0: Keen on learning bike mechanics, jazzing up or fixing your bike, even buying your first bike? Look no further than the Bike Kitchen, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's community bike shop, offering tune-ups, mechanic classes, and a vast selection of used bikes, as well as an all-around good vibe. Come by and experience it for yourself, on Monday to Friday from 10am to 6pm, or on Saturday from 11am to 6pm. Learn more at thebikekitchen.ca. put a strange way to be brought together. The ones they've loved have been wounded or died. Everyone dies. Yes, but everyone isn't killed. In a way, being loved is like being told you never have to die.
1: It's Johnny, good luck to Johnny Canuck and all
2: UBC the Theater and Film movie 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 presents movie Timothy Findley's The Wars, the adapted by Dennis Garnham, directed by Lois Anderson. Taking us deep inside the mind of a soldier and catapulting us into the mud, smoke, and chlorine gas of the front line in France in World War I. Emerging artists tell the
0: story of soldiers and their families, not much older than they are now. Timothy Finley's The Wars is ultimately life-affirming, proving that human connection is all.
2: November 7th to 23rd, Frederick Wood Theatre. Tickets for students only
0: $11.50. Theaterfilm.ubc.ca. Atira Women's Resource Society supports women and children impacted by violence by building and operating a range of safe, affordable housing and related support services, including childcare centers. Atira has housing and programs across the Lower Mainland. Our feminism is inclusive and intersectional. We envision a world free of inequalities where everyone's human rights are respected and where women and girls have the right to participate fully and effectively in all of the decisions that affect their lives. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at atira.bc.ca or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Free of Violence.
1: We have to have a peek at the weather, um, kind of rainy a little bit uh, this evening. Cloudy with a 40% chance of a shower, and then there'll be more steady rain after midnight. Isn't that good news? <laughs> but you'll be asleep by then. Low down to about 8. Unless you're studying, of course, you'll probably be uh, up all night. Anyway, tomorrow, Tuesday, um rain, and then it's going to kind of taper off to sort of intermittent showers uh, in the afternoon. So there's a 60% chance of rain. Um, The steady rain will stop by around noon and then sort of taper off a bit with a low of 8 and a high of 10. Then uh, on Wednesday is a mix of sun and cloud with a 40% chance of light rain with a low of 8 and a high of 11. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, basically it's periods of rain. We're going to get into the rainy season, as they say, and uh, periods of rain, uh, temperatures ranging between lows down to about 6 and highs up to about 12 for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday too. So that's the, um, that's the picture. It's November, after all, so uh, this kind of weather is, well, Not unusual for this area. So we're going to get back to music. And just to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 on your dial. And for live streaming, CITR.ca. This is The Jazz Show. And my name is Gavin Walker. And I'm going to present Don Cherry to you right now. Uh Uh-huh. Believe it or not, <laughs> but this is a different Don Cherry. This is not the one that has been in the news uh, today uh, or anything. This is the real Don Cherry. This is the Don. Cher- this is what I call my Don Cherry. Don Cherry, of course, is one of the most unique voices of the trumpet. The late great Don Cherry. He uh, was uh, for many years um, associated with uh, Ornette Coleman. And his music, and of course, uh, they came up together. Um, And Don Cherry um, played a couple of times here in in Vancouver way back in when he was just a young man in uh, the late '50s at the original cellar. And uh, um, an amazing musician, uh, very adept at playing the piano. But he's he's basically known as as one of the most individual voices of the trumpet, and Interestingly enough here, um, the first time I ever heard Don Cherry was here in Vancouver at the original cellar, and he appeared with a a great uh, young saxophone player who wasn't much older than me um, from Texas by the name of James Clay, and we're going to hear Don Cherry and James Clay together on this album, even though it was recorded many, many years later in 1988. This is from an album called Art Deco, and it features um, Don Cherry on trumpet, James Clay on tenor saxophone, Charlie Hayden on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. And we're going to hear three tunes from this album. The first tune is the title track, written by Don Cherry. It's called Art Deco. The second tune is written by the great Ornette Coleman, and it's called When Will the Blues Leave? And tune number three was written by the redoubtable Thelonious Monk, and that is Bemsha Swing. So Art Deco, tune number one, When Will the Blues Leave, tune number two, and Bemsha Swing, tune number three. I present to you the real Don Cherry.
0: Bye. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: The music of Don Cherry. That's right. Don Cherry on trumpet with James Clay on tenor saxophone, Charlie Hayden on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. That's from an album that came out on a and Records called Art Deco. And, of course, Cherry, one of the unique voices of the trumpet. Um, unlike Lee Morgan, Don Cherry... Is not a virtuoso player, but he certainly established his identity very, very quickly. Um, In the early days, of course, he became uh, really prominent when uh, Don and Ornette Coleman um, moved to New York and, of course, um, virtually revolutionized jazz and uh, made that uh, great uh, performance at the five-spot. Uh, cafe in New York. And of course, everybody came to hear them because they were so controversial and, uh, <laughs> it was, was quite amazing. And of course, Ornette Coleman's music is still, um, subject to controversy. But Don Cherry, yes, very definitely one of the most unique and one of the great voices of the trumpet. And of course, um, he he has done so many or did so many things in his long career and uh, uh was very also a very fine piano player composer um he really uh did a lot um of world music before it became world music if you know what i mean so this uh wonderful album uh was recorded in New, or at Rudy Van Gelder Studios in August of 1988 and called Art Deco, as I mentioned. We heard the title track written by Don Cherry. That, that was tune number one. The second tune was written by Ornek Coleman entitled When Will the Blues Leave? And the third tune was, of course, written by Thelonious Monk and called Bemsha Swing. The unique voice of the real Don Cherry. There you go. (laughs) All right. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or, of course, on your computer for um, live streaming, www.citr.ca. And uh, we'll be back in a moment right after a couple of announcements like this one.
2: the vancouver international mountain film festival's fall series is back presenting an adventure-packed weekend including a mountain bike show that features north vancouver's Ella D. brown and leslie kaymeyer they'll be talking about the film bikepacking and boat living a tale of traveling by land and sea Film screenings will take place at 7.30 p.m. from November 14th to 19th at both the Centennial and Rio Theater, with an added screening of the popular Real Rock climbing films on November 17th at 3 p.m. For more info, visit vimff.org. You're
0: listening to CITR 101.9 broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Honkamenim-speaking Musqueam people.
1: We're going to turn now to the music of uh, an old friend of mine, who used to live here in Vancouver, and of course he's been part of the Toronto scene for so many years. I'm talking about guitarist Ted Quinlan. Ted is one of the virtuoso guitar players in Canada and one of the finest uh, and most individual voices um, on the guitar, jazz guitar. And he's got a brand new album out, and it's called Absolutely Dreaming. And it features um nine of his own compositions and and uh, the handpicked band of uh, fellow Torontonians, uh, Brian Dickinson, um, one of Toronto's many fine piano players, um, Kieran Overs on bass, and Ted Warren on drums, and a superb band um, after you hear this, I'll give you uh, Ted's um, website address, and uh, you might want to get this album for yourself. It's really quite something. We're going to hear two tunes uh, from this album, both as I mentioned before, compositions by Ted Quinlan. And the first one is called Chetta Camp, and the second tune is entitled Not What It Seems. great music of the one and only Ted Quinlan, one of the virtuosos of the guitar. We heard two tunes from uh, Ted Quinlan's new album called Absolutely Dreaming. And, of course, Mr. Quinlan, one of the premier voices of the guitar, and uh, was a resident of Vancouver for many years and contributed to uh, our marvelous jazz scene for so many uh, years and then uh, left for the Big Lemon, Toronto. And has done extremely well there, and he visits Vancouver every once in a while, but uh, hasn't been here actually for a little little while, and uh, he remains um, one of the premier voices of the uh, of the guitar. Ted Quinlan with his handpicked band, with Brian Dickinson at the piano, Kieran Overs on bass, and Ted Warren on drums, and this is uh, Ted's brand new album. Uh, and we heard there are nine tunes on this album, and we heard two of them. Uh, the first one was entitled Chetta Camp and the second tune was entitled "Not What It Seems." And uh, if you're interested in purchasing this album, very easy. you can get onto uh, Ted's website, which is W, Ted Quinlan QUINLAN dot com ted quinlan all one word dot com and simple as that so there you go we'll be hearing more from this album in uh, future shows of course and uh hope you enjoyed those two really nice tracks yes ted quinlan always welcome on the jazz show On CITR, FM 101.9, or, of course, for live streaming, www.citr.ca. Two great websites to uh, check out if you're sitting in front of a computer. It's always fun, sometimes, providing your computer works (laughs) or doesn't crash or doesn't do anything like that. Anyway, uh, two wonderful jazz websites pertaining basically to um, the Vancouver scene. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and that's simply coastaljazz.ca. And there's all kinds of links on that site. Coastal Jazz, of course, is the they are the people that bring you the big jazz festival every year. They have events throughout the year. And concerts and that sort of thing. And, of course, the, uh, the jazz festival. But they also um, have Frankie's Jazz Club. The website of Frankie's is on coastaljazz.ca. You can look at the schedule, check out who is coming to Frankie's, uh, which, of course, is located down on Beattie Street, just opposite B.C. Place. It's a great club. Um, Wonderful acoustics and very well run and, of course, some very, very fine music at Frankie's. And uh, if there are several artists or an artist that particularly appeals to you, you can uh, book reservations, book a table, all that kind of stuff on that particular website. So that's coastaljazz.ca. And the other fine website is really worth uh, a browse, and that's vancouverjazz.com, and that's put together by my old friend Brian Nation, who keeps that one up to date. So you have coastaljazz.ca, vancouverjazz.com. And, of course, I'd like to mention Pat's Pub, which is located in the downtown east side in Vancouver in the historic Patricia Hotel every Saturday afternoon some of our finest musicians perform at Pat's Pub and um the wonderful thing about Pat's Pub we're all uh, you know a little short on money these days and Pat's Pub there is never ever a cover charge so it's very reasonable the sound quality is good the room is very comfortable and there's plenty of parking around uh, the Patricia Hotel and every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 7. Some of our very finest musicians perform there. So do check out Pat's Pub in the historic Patricia Hotel. We're going to pay tribute to a gentleman right now who was born today in 1927 in Tippo, Mississippi. He passed away at age 89. He was an extremely well-loved figure. Passed away November 15th, 2016. I'm talking about pianist, vocalist, composer. He occasionally even played the trumpet. I'm talking about Mose Allison. And he just reflects that whole kind of uh, southern, um, bluesy, musical um area and mose was unique he was also i mean he was a very very fine pianist and worked with stan getz jerry mulligan zoot sims phil woods all those people very accomplished pianist Um, but for years of course he preferred to do his own music and he toured with his own trio very often, he toured as a single and then picked up, uh, found out all the good players all throughout the country. So he would know when he went to a certain city who he could get to uh, to work with him. And uh, when he came to Vancouver, he always worked with uh, Rick Kilburn and my good friend John Nolan. And... Um, then he he would take John and and Rick down to Seattle to do gigs down there or in Portland, and then of course um, they would they would come back home and then Mose would head to California, uh, Los Angeles, and pick up uh, a good bass player there and drummer, that sort of thing. He had his uh, everything all worked out, and of course he toured for years and years and years, and was always welcome in every city that he performed. So, we're just going to hear some classic Mose Allison right now, um, along with uh, bassist Addison Farmer and drummer Ronnie Free. And we're going to hear Willie Dixon's great tune to open things up called The Seventh Sun. And a few more tunes uh, Eyesight to the Blind, and uh, a great tune from Duke Ellington's repertoire. With the ironic lyri- lyrics, do nothing till you hear from me. And we'll carry on maybe with a few more as a tribute to the iconic Mose Allison. <laughs>
2: Is talking about the seven sun in the whole round world, there is only one, and I'm the one. Yes, I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one, the one they call the seven sun. I can tell your future; it will come to pass. I can do things for you, make your heart feel glad. Look in the sky, predict the rain. I can tell when a woman's got another man. I'm the one. Yes, I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one. The one they call the seventh son. Sounds so sweet They will even make your little heart Skip and beat I can heal the sick Raise the dead And make the little girls Talk out of their head I'm the one Yes, I'm the one I'm the one, I'm the one The one they call the seven son. I'm the one, I'm the one The one they call the seven son. Talking about your woman, I wish you could see mine. You're talking about your woman, I wish you could see mine. Every time I started loving, she brings eyesight to the blind. I know her daddy got some money, I can tell by the way she walked. I know her daddy got some money, I can tell by the way she walked. Every time she started shaking, them dumb, don't begin to talk. When she was lying on the bed man next door was dying raised up his head and said ain't she pretty or don't you know she fine one look at that woman bring eyesight to the blind. i declare she pretty and the whole state knows she fine i declare she pretty and the whole state knows she fine every time she start loving she bring eyesight to the blind Till you hear from me, pay no attention to what's said. Why people tear the seam of anyone's dream is over my head. Do nothing till you hear from me at least consider our romance if you should take the word of others you've heard i haven't a chance true i've been seen with someone new but does that mean That I've been untrue Though we're apart These words in my heart Reveal how I feel about you Some kiss may cloud my memory And other arms may hold a thrill But just do nothing till you hear it from me and you never... Some kiss may cloud my memory (laughs) And other arms may hold a thrill But just do nothing till you hear it from me And you never will Well, I'm sitting over here on Parchment Farm. Well, I'm sitting over here on Parchment Farm. Well, Farm, and I ain't never done no man no harm. Well, I'm putting that cotton in an 11 foot sack. Cotton in a 11 foot sack. Well, I'm putting that cotton in a 11 foot sack with a 12 gauge shotgun at my back. Mm. rest of my life I'm gonna be on this farm for my natural life well I'm gonna be here for the rest of my life and all I did was shoot my wife (laughs) I'm sitting over here on Parchment Farm. that cotton sack is gonna scratch your knees and bend your back and if you live your time will come oh well if you live your day will come i say if you They're gonna soon enough rain
1: We paid a small tribute to Mose Allison, who was born today in Tippo, Mississippi, November 11th, 1927, and passed away at the ripe old age of 89, November 15th, 2016. And of course, his unique voice will be missed, and still is to this day. We heard Mose on a whole variety of tunes, along with uh, Addison Farmer on bass and Ronnie Free on drums. And we heard some classic uh, Mose Allison. We uh, saved the instrumental to the last and uh, sort of gave you a demonstration of Moses' uh, unique piano stylings as well. And the uh, first piece of music we heard was Willie Dixon's great tune, uh, The Seventh Son. We followed that with uh, Eyesight to the Blind, And that's by Sonny Boy Williamson wrote that one. And then we heard uh, a Duke Ellington staple with uh, that ironic set of lyrics called Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me. And then, of course, then we heard Mose Allison's tribute to the um, infamous prison in uh, Mississippi Parchman Farm. And all he did was shoot his wife. Uh-huh. Life sentence. <laughs> we followed that with uh, If You Live, another Mos Allison composition. And then the final piece of music was um, his own instrumental composition called simply Creek Bank. So a little tribute to uh, one of the more unique jazz stylists, and someone who really carved a, a niche for himself and was extremely popular, traveled all over the country, and, and uh, worked right, almost right up to the end of his life, Mose Allison. We're going to take you back now to the closing tune at the Newport Jazz Festival in 1957. It's a huge event. We're going to hear the Count Basie Orchestra with some guests. And of course, uh, the Basie Band, uh, all kinds of marvelous people in the band. I'm not going to run down all the personnel. However, the guests are, first of all, you're going to hear the president, the real president. We had the real Don Cherry on <laughs> earlier in the show. We're going to have the real president on uh, right now, and that is Lester Young, and uh, he made a welcome guest appearance. He, of course, he was a, a long, he was an, a, an alumnus of the Count Basie band, and uh, he was doing a guest shot uh, here. And of course, Lester was in wonderful form toward the end of his life, and. Um, he passed away about two years later. But uh, Lester Young takes the first solo. Another alumnus of the Basie Band was a gentleman by the name of Illinois Jacquette. And Monsieur Jacquette takes over on tenor saxophone. He uh, he kills it. He, he is great as well. A whole different style uh, than Lester Young. And the other soloist on here is the great... Roy Eldridge. He was never a part of the Basie band, but he was definitely a welcome guest because he used to like to sit in with everybody. And Roy had a nickname, Little Jazz. And of course, he was Dizzy Gillespie's inspiration and um, mentor. He really, um, the lineage came from Louis Armstrong, Roy Eldridge, Dizzy Gillespie. Simplified form of uh, trumpet history, but there you go. And, of course, the great Basie band with um, The Count on piano, Freddie Green on guitar, um, Eddie Jones on bass, and Sonny Payne on drums. Actually, Joe Jones is playing drums here. Papa Joe uh, is guesting with the band as well. So, um, And you hear his uh, shouts of encouragement to everybody in the band. And Joe was in great form, and he was so happy to uh, take over the drum kit for this tune. And, of course, this is The One O'Clock Jump. Count Basie Band closing down the Newport Jazz Festival in 1957 with a whole bunch of guests um, and Basie alumni sitting in with the band. First of all, the first soloist, um, after we heard the introduction by Count Basie, was the great President Lester Young. And uh, after Prez, we heard Illinois Jacquette. Monsieur Jacquette tore up the place, of course, on the tenor saxophone. Very different style from uh, Lester Young. Um, Jacquette was in the band for a minute um, back in the early days. And the third guest was uh, trumpeter Roy Eldridge, who was actually never part of the Count Basie band, but he used to sit in with the band all the time. And, of course, he wrapped everything up. And guesting on drums was another great alumnus, and of course yelling his uh, encouragement to everybody in the band, Papa Joe Jones on drums. And of course that great bassy rhythm section with the Count on piano, Freddie Green on guitar, uh, Eddie Jones on bass, and of course Papa Joe on drums. The one o'clock jump, as only Count Basie could play it. Mm -hmm. We're going to take you now to the penthouse. Yeah. Not not the one in Vancouver. No, no. I I've, I've, I've done this before. This is the penthouse the jazz club in Seattle. And the, the legendary jazz club which of course is no longer there. However, there have been in the last few years some significant recordings um that were done at the penthouse. And I was there um back in 1962. I went down with my good friend John Levine. We drove down to hear Johnny Griffin and Eddie Lockjaw Davis, one of the great tenor saxophone tag team matches. And I wasn't there the night uh, these recordings were made, but I was, uh, we were there for uh, two nights in a row because we were only going to go down for one night and then drive back to Vancouver. And uh, it was so good we had to stay another night. So we <laughs> booked a couple of rooms at the Vance Hotel um, which was a few blocks away from the club, and um, took in a second night because uh, these guys were so great. And fortunately, um, a recording of their gig at the penthouse has now been unearthed, and thanks to a whole bunch of people, Zeb Feldman and Corey Weeds, Um, And this is on the Real to Real label. The album is called Owl, because that's one of the tunes that's played. That's Dizzy Gillespie's tune. And the band, of course, is Johnny Griffin and Eddie Lockjaw Davis, one of the great tag team matches with Horace Parlin on piano and Seattleite, well, he became a Seattleite, uh, Buddy Catlett on bass. He actually, he grew up in Seattle and then was on the road for so many years and eventually moved back to Seattle. Just a great bass player, the late Buddy Catlett. And on drums, the mighty Arthur Taylor. So we're going to hear a couple of tunes from this um, set. Uh, the first one is an Edgar Sampson composition. I always liked this tune. It's called Blue Lou. And the second tune was written by uh, was a staple of the, uh, the great, legendary Billy Eckstein band of the 40s, and they used to do this tune, written by Jerry Valentine, called Second Balcony Jump. So here then, Johnny Griffin and Eddie Lockjaw Davis, and in this tag team, Lockjaw Davis, always solos first. Thank you. And now in conclusion, another little standard, Blue Lou." Mm-hmm. The voice of uh, Eddie Lockjaw Davis announcing, uh, or back announcing the tune, we heard uh, two tunes. The first one was a very up-tempo version of an old standard by Edgar Sampson called Blue Lou, and that was a specialty of the band. And the second tune, these guys like to just uh, really wail and play. Um, they weren't much on ballads, although, although occasionally they did a ballad. and They had to slow things down, but... Uh, um, they left it just uh, burn on, on tunes. And I'm talking about, of course, uh, one of the great tenor saxophone tag team matches. Eddie Lockjaw Davis, always soloed first, and Johnny Griffin. And they were backed up, of course, by Horace Parlin at the piano, Buddy Catlett on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. And all of this was recorded at the Penthouse, the jazz club in Seattle in uh, on May uh, 1962, in May 1962. And we heard two tunes. The, um, as I said, Blue Lou was the first tune, and the second tune was called Second Balcony Jump. We'll hear more from this album. Um, Zev Feldman and Corey Weeds were responsible for putting this album out, and it's on the Real to Real label, and the album is called Ow. Johnny Griffin. And Eddie Lockjaw Davis, live at the penthouse. Stan Getz is another great saxophonist, tenor saxophonist. What can one say about Stan Getz? Uh, He really spanned so many eras, and even if his career was occasionally um, down, something would Click, and he would bounce right back into first uh, kind of first position. And uh, Stan had a, a great, productive musical life. One of his finest eras was 1953-1954, and he had this unique quintet with Bob Brookmeyer on valve trombone and Johnny Williams. Um, from Vermont, a great uh, swinging piano player, and on bass, Bill Anthony, and on drums, Frank Izola, and of course, Mr. Getz on tenor saxophone. This version of the standard I'll remember April is, always has been my favorite Stan Getz solo. And But the band was so great because it, it, it was, um, they played sort of lines together and just flowed together so beautifully. And um, you'll hear it uh, when we play this, I'll Remember April. Check it out. <laughs>
0: I'm All uh-huh. right. mm <laughs> hmm Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs>
1: The Stan Getz Quintet, very unique sound, and uh, that particular band was one of the best that Stan ever put together. And it featured um, Mr. Getz, of course, on that ice blue sounding tenor saxophone, along with Bob Brookmeyer on valve trombone. They were perfect partners, and the way they played together so beautifully. On piano, one of my favorites from originally from Vermont, Johnny Williams at the piano, very underrated player and uh, hard swinging uh, just a, a great kind of uh, uh, player, all, all, always played wonderfully concise solos. On bass, Bill Anthony and on drums, Frank Isola. And, of course, that was uh, Stan's version of I'll Remember April. And that still stands as one of my favorite Stan Getz solos is on that piece. We're going to close the show this evening and take you back to Birdland, 1962. And we're going to hear the Charles Mingus Jazz Workshop. This is a broadcast recording, so the sound quality isn't uh, maybe up to um, present-day standards, but uh, the performance is great, and of course it's a Mingus classic. Mingus is on bass, of course, Charles Mingus, along with Richard Williams on trumpet, and Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone, my good friend Charles MacPherson on alto saxophone, Jackie Byard on piano, And of course, Danny Richmond on drums. And this is Mingus' great anthem, The Fables of Faubus. What are you going to do now, Charles? All right, here's Mr. Faubus from the uh, um, Columbia album, Mr. Faubus. Uh We go right into the chicken pie. Everybody, a great big for Charlie Mingus, Workshop All-Stars, here at Birdland, the jazz con the world. Just remind you that you are listening to... Of course, that was the voice of uh, Symphony Sid. That was a broadcast recording of the Charles Mingus Jazz Workshop, recorded at Birdland, March the 24th, 1962. And that featured Mr. Mingus on bass, along with uh, Richard Williams on trumpet, Charles MacPherson on alto saxophone, Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone, Jackie Byard on piano, and, of course, Danny Richmond on drums. And we heard two tunes, actually. We heard uh, Mingus' famous anthem, Fables of Phobos. And um, the second tune, where they segued right into it, was um, their uh, theme song at the time, as a composition by Mingus called Eat That Chicken and um, that closed the set um yes at Birdland and uh as i said the recording quality wasn't the greatest because it's a broadcast recording and uh they did their best trying to uh uh fix up the tape but the music is so valuable on here Um, different aspects of uh, Mingus's music. So that's it. Hope you enjoyed the uh, uh, little trip into the world of Charles Mingus. And of course, uh, if you were around for the rest of the show, great. We're very happy you were here. And that's it for another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or of course... For live streaming, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and we're very happy to uh, have you aboard. And if you were here for a little while, great. If you were here all night, uh, it's even more wonderful. So do take care, and we'll see you in a week's time. We do this show every Monday night starting at 9 p.m. right here at CITR. So we'll see you later. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Baduba Do doo,